15, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Clayton Chan. God, I thank you for this day and this time and this space where we can come together as a family, as brothers and sisters, and just worship you, God. Declare to the world, declare to each other uh, just how amazing you are. And for some people in this room, God, this day is hard. They come with heavy hearts. For others, God, this is a day of celebration. But I thank you that you are a God who meets us where, with, where we are at. You know what we're going through. And so I pray, Father, that you would give us what we need. I pray, Father, for those who are hurting, that you would give hope, that you would give comfort, that you would give peace. Uh, but also, God, for those who are celebrating, would you just remind them, God, that every good and perfect gift comes from you. And so thank you, God, that we can come together as a community and be together and love one another and also love you. We pray, Father, that you would just bless the time that we have as we go through your word, that your word would hit us afresh, that your, move, your word would move us, it would convict us, God, to live for you. So we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. Right, I just wanted to say to all, well, actually, well, I want to just give a quick shout out for a special woman in my life, my wife, Esther. This is officially her first Mother's Day. All right, there she is, right? The apple of my eye. She's probably going to be really embarrassed by that. All right, well, you can't really see her too much because you see more my son, but the real apple of my eye is my wife right there. Um, but I also want to just take a quick moment and acknowledge all the mothers out there in the room, including our spiritual mothers. Where would we be without our spiritual mothers? I am so thankful for the women who have invested and nurtured me because I am who I am today only because of their care. And so it's fitting that today is Mother's Day because what we're going to be talking about is family. Family matters. Having a family is one of the greatest blessings, but at times it can feel like a curse. For instance, when I married my wife, I didn't just gain a wife. I gained a father and a mother and two brothers. And with this expanded family came different cultures and different customs. I am half Korean, half Chinese, but, uh, but culturally I'm American. My parents, they, we didn't celebrate too many Chinese or Korean traditions, but Esther's family is very, very Korean. They like to celebrate all the Korean traditions. One time we went over to her parents' house for New Year's, and there's this tradition where you bow to your parents and you bless them, right? I had never done this before, there's certain words that you have to say. There's a certain way you're supposed to bow. There's a certain way you're supposed to dress. And I had never done it before. And so I just, so they told me what I'm supposed to say. And I just got down and I bowed and I just fumbled through it. But in the end, I was like, you know what? It's okay, right? I don't have to do this for another year. <laughs> but then they pulled me aside and her parents go, next time wear a suit. And I was like, I was dressed in my jeans and a button down, right? My Sunday best. I thought good enough for God but not good enough for my in-laws. <laughs> my in-laws and I are very different. We don't speak the same language. We are culturally very different. We have differences in theology. My father-in-law, he's a retired pastor. He actually quizzed me on my theology before allowing me to marry his daughter. <laughs> but despite all of this, despite all the differences, we genuinely love and care for one another. I know at the end of the day, they have my back and I have theirs that we are united because we are a family. The early church also went through their growing pains as they were trying to figure out how do we be a family? One of the major issues was unity. How do we stay united despite our differences? 
They were a dysfunctional family committed to one another for the sake of Jesus. And so today, we're going to be taking a look at how we can become a thriving church family. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 15? And we're going to start from verse 22 and read up to 35. So Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia, greetings. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Last week, Pastor Kevin led us through the beginning of Acts chapter 15. In the beginning of Acts chapter 15, we see that the early church was at a crossroad. Gentile believers and Jewish believers were divided. At stake was the unity of the church. There was division between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers whether following Judaic law was a requirement for salvation. What we just read here in this passage is the official response to that crisis. A letter was sent informing the Gentile believers that they were not required to follow Jewish law to be saved. This was such an important decision to the early church that the church in Jerusalem sent worthy men to confirm what had been written, what had been decided. The leaders of the church chose Judas, Silas, to go with Paul and Barnabas to be bearers of this message. These men were men of integrity. They were leaders, and they were sent to validate the important letter to the church of Antioch. And the letter begins with the apostles and elders introducing themselves. But what I love about this intro isn't just that they introduce who they are, but they also point out what their relationship is to these Gentile believers. They say, your brothers. They refer to themselves as your brothers. They're saying, we, the elders and apostles, your brothers are writing this to you. Right from the beginning, the Jewish believers were establishing that they were a family with their fellow Gentile believers. The two communities were very different. Culturally, they were very different. Theologically, they were very different. And they even looked different. 
But at the end of the day, they were a family. They saw each other as brothers and sisters. As Christians, we are all part of God's family. You have a family, that's, and, you have a family and that's great news. Right? In the famous words of Lilo and Stitch, family means nobody gets left behind or forgotten. Right? Isn't that great news? You belong. I think we all have this desire to belong, to be part of something that's greater than ourselves. We want to find a home where people love us and accept us for who we are. And that's what we have in this church family. You have brothers, sisters, and a heavenly father who love you. But it's not all rainbows and unicorns. Being a family takes work. Like with all families, there is differences, disagreements, selfishness, pettiness. There is brokenness. Right? People say that marriage is hard because when you take one sinner and take another sinner and you put them together, guess what? You just get more sin. Well, think about how much harder it is to be a family. Not only do you have two sinners now, you just have a bunch of sinners bringing their baggage, bringing their emotions, bringing their pain and hurting one another. There will be times where we feel frustrated and annoyed with each other. There will be times where we hurt and are left heartbroken because of each other. But don't give up. Please don't give up. I see way too many people give up on the church family because of disagreements and differences. But we have to understand that what unites us is far greater than anything that could divide us. What unites us is Jesus. It was his body and his blood that was broken for us. And this is why it's so important that we work at being a church family. Imagine if we were to take God's call to be a family seriously. What if we as God's family learned to love each other in the midst of all the messiness? What a powerful witness it would be to the world. Imagine how God would be exalted when the world was able to see a family of misfits come together in unity and love one another. Imagine how the world would react if our church permeated with, with reconciliation, forgiveness, and grace. Our capacity to be witnesses for Jesus is directly related to how well we thrive as a church family. So the question today is, how do we become a thriving church family? How do we become a thriving church family? First thing we do, we confront division. We confront division. Many of us don't like confrontations. We rather not deal with difficult people or difficult conversations. But to be a family means that we need to take the steps of confronting the division in our lives. In verse 24, the Jerusalem church writes, we have heard that someone out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. The early church called out and condemned the actions of those who were leading people astray, who those who were dividing the church. The Jerusalem church acknowledged that the troublemakers had come from them, but they didn't give them the authority to teach what they were teaching. For all we know, those who were teaching falsely were actually probably still in the church. It's not like they were trying to lead people astray purposely. 
No, and that's why in Acts chapter 15, we see that this council was called in because they needed to discuss and debate what was true, what was correct. The elders and apostles saw it as imperative that they confront division. We can't be scared or uncomfortable in situations or difficult conversations when at stake is the health and unity of our community. We think that unity is about keeping the peace, but true unity confronts division and leads us into enter into difficult conversations. You are not doing the church any favors by ignoring division, by sweeping it under the rug. You are not doing the church any favors by not rocking the boat, but you're actually hurting the church because, because you're not caring about restoring the unity of our community. The point of confronting division is to restore unity. And it's important that we confront each other, but when we do it, we do it with grace. In having these difficult conversations and confronting division, the end goal isn't just to say what you want and have the person do as you say. I think the temptation for us is to actually cut people out of our lives if they don't listen to us. I think that and we don't, but when it comes to being a family, right, there is no ultimatum, right? You can't tell someone, hey, if you don't do what I want, then I'm done with you. We can't go to people confronting them and threatening to end the relationship if they don't listen to us. Confronting division should not lead to the severing of relationships. When we confront division, we are fighting for the unity that we have as a family, which means we do it with grace. It's the grace, and that grace causes us to commit to one another no matter how that conversation may go. We need to learn to have difficult conversations without dictating the terms. As brothers and sisters, we, have, we will always have disagreements, but we can confront the things that we disagree on and move past it for the sake of unity. If we are truly united in Christ, we can enter into these uncomfortable conversations knowing that although we don't see eye to eye, we still care for each other. We still love each other. We will be there to support one another. Being a family means that we don't, have, we don't need to have, being a family means that we need to have the courage to speak up against things that bring division to our church family. A few years ago, I was holding this PTA meeting for the high school, and so I invited all the parents, and I was sharing with them just the vision of our high school ministry. And I was telling them about different events that we had planned throughout the year. And at the end, I just opened it up for questions. And there was one question that just I was taken aback by. Right? One parent asked, can we just have FNF for our own kids? And FNF is our Friday night fellowship. Every Friday we get together with all the youth group. Uh, and kids come and we hang out. And we, we worship, we hang out, and we you know, worship God together. But essentially what this parent was asking indirectly was, can we ban the neighborhood kids from coming? Because at the time, we got a lot of kids from Englewood, and it was amazing. The ministry was booming. A lot of people from the city were coming. But some parents didn't feel comfortable having their kids hang out with the neighborhood kids. Right? At issue was the unity of our youth group. The unity of our youth group was being threatened. Right? The parents failed to see that the neighborhood kids were also just as part of the family of God as their own kids. And so I responded, I said, no, we can't close the doors 
of our church to any kids. If we did, then we would no longer be the church. Christ died for all. The church is for all. It wasn't the answer that the parent was hoping for, but it was the answer that the parent needed to hear. Can our unity in Jesus take precedence over anything that would divide us? To be a thriving church family, we have to be willing to confront the division in our community. And the second way we can become a thriving church family is to create fellowship. So the first is we confront division. The second is we create fellowship. When we think about fellowship, what probably comes to mind first is fun and food. Right? That, that's the reason why I came to church. It was the fun and food first. And that's not wrong. Food and fun is part of fellowship. But there's a greater fellowship that occurs when we are united as brothers and sisters. Starting with verse 28, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. The requirements that were being placed on the Gentile believers did not have to do with salvation. They had everything to do with fellowship. Right? The council had already addressed the salvation issue. They said Gentile Christians don't have to follow Mosaic laws to be saved because we are saved through Christ alone. But here, they're addressing the fellowship issue. There is no way that Gentiles and Jews can come together to worship and to eat and to do fellowship if the Gentiles brought food that the Jews deemed unholy. If the Jews couldn't be around this food, how can they do fellowship with their Gentile brothers? The mandate to abstain from these things was made out of sensitivity to their Jewish brothers. In our times of fellowship and coming together, are we being sensitive to others? Are we being considerate to the needs of our fellow brothers and sisters? When it comes to fellowship, oftentimes we have this consumerist mentality. Our first thought isn't, how can I meet someone else's needs? How can I encourage them? How can I strengthen them? Our first thought is, how does this affect me? How will this benefit me? We can be selfish when it comes to fellowship. We seek fellowship only when it serves our purposes. And this mentality comes out in various ways. In the youth group, when I ever, whenever I ask a student, oh, why don't you come out to a Friday night? Or why don't you come out to the retreat? Why don't, you, uh, why don't you come out to Bible study? The answer that I most hear often is, oh, none of my friends go. Like, I don't want to go because my friends don't go. I don't know anyone there. It's going to be awkward. But this is not just with kids, it also happens with adults. Some adults feel like they can't learn or gain something from others. I, whenever, um, whenever there's a ministry and I'm like, oh, why don't you join that ministry? Why don't you um, be part of that ministry? Some parents or some adults are like, well, there's nothing for me there. Like, I can't learn anything from young people. I can't learn anything from older people. True fellowship in the family of God is about the other. It's about how we can come alongside others to encourage them and strengthen them. But more often than not, 
We can be selfish in whom we choose to be in community with. Usually we choose to seek out people who are most like us. We choose people who look like us, speak like us, or enjoy the same things as us. Right? We want to do community with people who are similar to us. And we justify that by telling ourselves it's hard to connect, and so I'm going to connect with people who are similar to me because it's easier. But the one thing, if, there, if there's anything that I've learned in this church, is that our commonality is not because of our strengths and our similarities. Our commonality is through weakness. We are all broken people, and we all need Jesus. You can connect to anyone who is different from you because of Jesus. We need to embrace diversity, and I believe that we have an amazing opportunity here at Metro to do that. Our church is very diverse. Some people may claim that it's an Asian church, but it's not. We have Caucasians, Asians, African Americans, and Latinos. We have men and women. We have young. We have old. We have special needs and just needs, because to be honest, we all have needs. We have a very diverse church here at Metro. But what's the point of being diverse if we're not willing to cross boundaries and barriers to love our brothers and sisters? The beauty of being diverse is that we can learn so much from each other because we are so different. Metro, we have an opportunity to be a fuller and more rich family if we strive to create fellowship with each other. It's important that we become fellowship creators rather than fellowship breakers. Being a big church, it can feel like there's a lot of cliques and we have to fight against being okay with that. We have a lot of cliques in the youth group and I try to encourage my students, I try to encourage these young people to actually step outside of their comfort zones. Right? I tell them, look, I don't expect you to stop hanging out with your friends, but since you already have a group of friends, why don't you go to somebody new and invite them into that space? Right? Instead of dropping your friends and trying to meet all these new people to break up the clique, why don't you just include them into the group that you already have? We need to be mindful about what we can do to create fellowship. Maybe that means being mindful about the language you speak around others. A lot of us like to use our native language, but in doing so, are we actually excluding others who don't know that language? For the sake of unity, can we be inclusive about the language that we use? Maybe for you, creating fellowship means catering to vegans, right? I'm not a vegan, but God loves vegans. <laughs> But I think sometimes by our gatherings and the food we provide, it doesn't allow them space to be part of it. Maybe creating fellowship for you means catering to the vegans in our church. And I say this as if it was easy, but it's not. I know it's hard to create fellowship, and some of you have been trying for a long, long time, and yet you still feel disconnected. Like, I understand that. I've been there. My first year and a half at this church was really hard. It's not like I wasn't trying to create fellowship. I would go to retreats, join small groups. I would go to different gatherings. But it was hard to connect with people. But I'm glad that I didn't give up because if I had, I wouldn't have met all the brothers and sisters I have in this church. Some of the closest people, some of my closest brothers and sisters are sitting in this room. And if I had given up on fellowship, that wouldn't be true today. Please don't give up on fellowship. You have so much to offer the church family. 
Fellowship is hard to create, but it's worth fighting for. To be a thriving church family, we have to first confront division. Second, we have to commit to creating fellowship. And the third way we become a thriving church family is to carry each other's burdens. To carry each other's burdens. Right? I love that in the passage, after receiving the letter, that the people were encouraged. But what was so encouraging about this letter? Essentially, it was a mandate for the Gentile believers. In verse 28, it says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Right? That doesn't sound very encouraging to me. It actually sounds restricting. The Gentile believers were being asked to carry the burdens of their Jewish brothers. Encouraging is not the first reaction that I think of when I think about burdens. But to these believers, to the early church, they were so united to Jesus that they were gladly and willingly carrying their brother's burdens. When was the last time you were happy to be burdened? Probably never. We don't like to be burdened. We usually have our own worries and our own problems to deal with that we don't want to take on the burdens of others. In fact, we want to lay down our burdens. We love, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Right? We gravitate to that passage because we want to get rid of our burdens. But if we are united to Jesus, God calls us to carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters. Following Christ does not mean that you are free from burdens. It means that we don't have to face our burdens alone. We have brothers, sisters, and a heavenly father who is there to support us. And this may sound counterintuitive, but to carry another person's burden, we actually have to first share our burdens. When we share our burdens, we experience how life-giving it is to be supported. And that's what causes us to actually offer that life-supporting um, uh, carrying of burdens for others. Right, some of you don't like sharing your burdens. You think it's selfish. Right, I have heard people say, oh, I don't want to share my burdens because I don't want people to worry about me. Right, they're so caring that they don't want other people to be burdened by what they're going through. But that's actually selfish. To actually share your burdens is a selfless act. You're actually inviting people to do life with you. You're building community. You're fostering fellowship. You are being the church family. But the church family is not just limited to the people who come to our church. We need to recognize that God has called Metro to carry the burdens of our community. That includes the people within these walls, but also the people outside of these walls. God has called Metro to Englewood, to this city. As a church, can we carry the burdens of our city? There are so many needs, but not enough people. We have some great Jack and community center initiatives to get involved with. We have a basketball program that runs on Saturdays where we're ministering to middle school students. We have a Metro Life program that's all about mentoring high schoolers. We have a nursing home ministry where every month people are going and worshiping with the elderly. We have a prison ministry. Right? This, I think today they're actually going to the prison to just minister to these inmates. We have a homeless ministry where we want to bless and care for homeless families. 
There are so many ways to get involved. And I just want to encourage you, if you want more information on any of it, you know, contact, reach out to Pastor Sunita. She'll get you to the right place. Let's not just do church on Sundays, but strive to be the church every single day as we carry the burdens of our community. Carrying the burdens of the people in this room, but also the people outside of it. To be a thriving church family, we have to confront division. We have to create fellowship. And we have to carry each other's burdens. I shared in the beginning that my in-laws and I love each other and genuinely care for one another. But it wasn't always like that. There was a time where actually they did not accept me. When Esther and I were dating, and even in our engagement period, whenever they would talk, talk to her about me, they always would just refer to me as her friend. Right? Not her boyfriend, <laughs> not her fiance, her friend. And secretly, they're hoping that we wouldn't work out. And the reason wasn't because they didn't like me as a person, right? What's not to like? <laughs> but the reason why they didn't like the idea of me being with her was because of my profession. They didn't like the fact that I was a pastor, which is a little ironic and hypocritical because my father-in-law is a retired pastor. But the reason why he didn't want us to be together was because he understood that the life of a pastor and in ministry is really hard. And to be a wife of a pastor is really hard. And so they didn't want that for their daughter. They didn't want their daughter to sacrifice and to suffer. And so when it became time where I had to get their blessing, because it was really important for Esther and I that we got their approval before we got married, I was really stressed and worried. But what helped me get through that moment and that season in my life was actually a friend, right? Before Pastor Doug became Pastor Doug, he was just Doug. <laughs> and he was a friend of mine in the church. He wasn't on staff. He was just a lay person, a friend. And we would meet together regularly and we would just share our burdens with each other. We would share our fears, our failures, our worries. We would even share our hopes. But around that time, I was sharing with them, like I'm really afraid that Esther's parents are gonna say no to me. And the thought of the possibility that I would be the one to break up her family and to divide her from her parents really killed me. Right? How could I be the one who made Esther decide whether it's me or her family? But I'm thankful for Doug because he walked with me, encouraged me, and supported me through that. I will never forget the moments before I went to go ask for their approval. So I was hanging out with Doug. I think we were like getting lunch and I was dropping him off at his car and I waited for him to get out of the car, but he just wouldn't get out. Right? It was a little awkward. He was just sitting there. I'm sitting there and he pauses and he looks at me and goes, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And I was a little surprised by that because it's not often that I get prayer from others. Usually as a pastor, people come, from, come to me for prayers. And so here was my friend, a lay person, just asking, can I pray for you? And so he put his hand on my shoulder and prayed over me. I am so thankful for my brother, Doug, because he walked with me through that season, supporting me and encouraging me. I knew I wasn't alone. It's moments like that where I remember and it reminded that I am part of a family that I have brothers and sisters who love me, who care for me, and have my back. 
right? The good part, or in the end, right? The happy ending is that they actually gave me their blessing, right? They actually never said yes. <laughs> the way I sort of knew was at the end of our two-hour meeting, my mother-in-law says, you know, when you first entered through that door, I was 50-50. And so I credit Pastor Doug's sermon for getting me over that hump. <laughs> it was a tough time in my life, but I'm so thankful that I had family to support me. You have a family here that has your back. Being part of God's family isn't always going to be easy, but it's worth it. It's worth fighting for. Let's strive to be a thriving church family. Let's show the world that what, the, what unites us, Jesus, is far greater than anything that could divide us. Metro, can we commit to being a thriving church? Can we commit to confronting division, creating fellowship, and carrying each other's burdens so that the world would see how great our God is? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, for your truth, for reminding us, God, that we all belong, that we're not alone, that we're not meant to do life alone, but that we are part of a family. We have brothers and sisters and a heavenly father in you who loves and cares for us. I know for some of us, God, it's hard to be part of the church. We say it's a family, but sometimes it doesn't feel like a family. But for some of us, God, we just are so annoyed and frustrated with the people in this room. But the beautiful thing is, God, that when we can be united and love one another, it magnifies, it exalts you in the beautiful word, the beautiful gospel. And so I thank you, God, for Metro, for making us a diverse place. I pray, Father, that we would look to our differences and that wouldn't keep us apart, but it would actually gather us together. That we would know, Father, that because of our differences, we have so much to learn from each other. We have so much to give to each other. And what a beautiful picture, God, of what your family looks like. And so I just pray, God, for those who are struggling, for those who are struggling for fellowship, for those who have tried over and over again to, to get to know people, to build relationship, but it's been hard and they still feel disconnected. I pray that you would not allow them to give up, but that they would continue to push forward, knowing, God, that the people in this room love and care for them. It might get awkward, it might get uncomfortable, but it's worth it. I pray, Father, for the difficult conversations that will happen this week, that as we confront division, God, we would do it with grace. We would do it with grace that your grace would be sufficient. I pray, God, that we would be able to speak truth and love, but at the end of the day, still be committed and united to one another. I pray, God, that we would be challenged to just carry each other's burdens, that we would be a support for our brothers and sisters. And it's fitting that on this Mother's Day, God, that we can talk about carrying each other's burdens because we know, Father, we've heard it, it takes a village to raise a child. And so we understand, God, how much help we need. And we thank you, God, for giving us a family to help us. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for your beautiful word. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
if you could take out your communications cards, or if you have the app, the communication card isn't there. Just want to go through a few of the next steps. The first, I'm committing my life to Jesus for the first time. There's a reason why this is always the first next step, because it's the most important step. If you, this is the greatest decision that you could ever make, to give your life to Jesus. And so if that's you, please just check it off. And I just want to encourage you through those doors in the hallway, there's uh, a table called the next table. There'll be a pastor there to just walk with you, answer any questions, but also to give you resources. The second, I will be a fellowship builder by attending Camp Metro this summer. Camp Metro is our church-wide retreat. Um, it's a great place to meet people. It's a great place to have fun. It's a great place to meet God. And so I just want to encourage you, if you are looking for fellowship, and I think that's all of us, but I just encourage you, just sign up for Camp Metro. It's a great place not only to bring your family and your kids. The third, I will seek out a fellow brother or sister to share my burdens with this week. Sharing your burdens with each other is a selfless act. You're doing community, you're being the church body, you're being fellowship builders. And so I just encourage you, find a brother or sister uh, to share a burden with. Life is too hard to go alone. And the last, and this is selfish of me, um, the last one is I will support the Metro Youth Missions trip to South Africa. Right? I love my kids. I want to make sure that they're able to get to South Africa. When we talk about carrying each other's burdens, they have a lot of burdens to carry. They have a lot of money to raise. And so I just encourage you, just commit to supporting our students, our young ones, in their journey with God. So if that's you, please just check that off. I will support the Metro Youth Missions trip to South Africa.